Today I choose joy. This morning we're talking about finding joy in righteousness. That is joy in our salvation. We're going to look at Philippians chapter number 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter number 3. We're going to get there in a few moments' time. But as we, we begin to think about who you are, I want you to take a moment. And don't do this out loud. How do you describe yourself? How's your self-image? Do you describe yourself as, I am tall compared to someone shorter than me? Or do you describe yourself as, as, you know, I am muscular, I am skinny, I am fat, I am, I am healthy? More often than not, majority of us have what I would describe as a negative view of ourselves. We see ourselves as, compared to that person, I'm only this. And then sometimes that's not correct, and then sometimes we also use the incorrect way of describing ourselves. We find someone that's not as strong or smart or as good-looking as we are, and we try to describe ourselves as comparatively to them. Neither of those are correct, but what we find in the Word of God is that it gives us a clear and accurate description of who you are. And when we understand what God says you are and how He describes who you are, we can discover and experience joy in our lives. So therefore, When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you are declared righteous. You have been declared that you are in right standing with God. And from that description, all the describers of your past, all the descriptions of who you are physically and all the things that you aren't physically, fade away because you don't have to describe yourself in comparison to that person or to that circumstance, or that thing that happened to you in the past. You can describe yourself as, I am righteous in God. I am in right standing with God. As you look through the scriptures, there's a number of different things that we're described as children of God. I read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, we are described as ambassadors for God. We are friends with God. We are His children. We are saved by grace, by God. All these wonderful describers of who we are. Ultimately, when we have a a wrong self-image, when we incorrectly describe ourselves, inaccurately describe ourselves, wrong thinking always leads to wrong action. Let me say that again. Wrong thinking always leads to wrong action. And you will not find joy in your life when you do not have correct thinking and in right thinking. The book of Philippians, I'll give you a very brief background. It's written to a real church in a real place called Philippi. That was in, it's in modern-day Greece. And there was a city named Philippi that was a Roman province, and there was a lot of Roman citizens there, and they were very patriotic about their Roman citizenship. And then along comes Paul and another man named Silas, they began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of them preaching the gospel, they, have an, they, have, they basically have a little uproar in the city. And they were beaten and put into jail. And that is the first instance we see of the gospel going into the city of Philippi. And here we have the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians. 
He's in jail, and it says, at midnight, he and Silas are singing praises to God. The result of that is the, the jailer hears the gospel, accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior, and that begins the beginning of a, a new, brand new church in that city. And then we fast forward. Paul is released from jail, and he finds himself back under arrest again. But this time he's in Rome. And he honestly does not know what the future is going to hold. He doesn't know if he's going to remain in jail or under house arrest or the, he's going to be released. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed. He doesn't know what the future holds. And the Bible is actually silent about what takes place with him. History tells us that he ultimately died in Rome. Here he's writing a letter with all the uncertainty around him, writing to a place that had a great deal of physical hurt. He was beaten with rods and thrown into jail. And here we see him writing about joy. Every aspect of his relationship with this church, in the physical sense, was negative. His circumstances when he was writing this letter was pretty negative. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been to jail and you're happy about it. I don't know. But if you're under arrest, generally you're not all that like, yay, give me some more. And he's writing about joy. So there's something we can learn for your life where you are today that you can apply to your life. And this morning we're talking about joy in righteousness. The focus of the Apostle Paul was not upon his present circumstances, but he was basically saying, wow, I get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you and with people in Rome and with soldiers that are guarding me. I get to do all this. Wow. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. And going into chapter number 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. The Apostle Paul had a correct way of thinking about his present circumstances and about his source of joy. It was not based upon his feelings it was based upon the fact of who God was and what God was doing in him and through him. This morning, I want to take that sort of thought process. Not necessarily your present circumstances, because they may be really difficult. Some of you this week have gone through some hurt. We have people in our church that have experienced some great deal of physical hurt this week, some emotional hurt. They've lost family members. How can we experience joy even though we have physical loss? Our principle for today is this. And every single week we have a principle. If you have your bulletin inside the bulletin or the message notes, and there you have uh, the, the principle for today, and it says this. Joy is found in righteousness through Jesus Christ. A very simple principle to apply to our lives is where do we find joy in our righteousness? It's not in my own righteousness. It is in the righteousness I find through Jesus Christ. Every person here today can experience real joy through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The word righteousness, a very, very simplistic definition, a good working definition for us today, is to be in right standing before God. That's just a good working definition. So therefore, when we stand before God, we are in correct standing. We're, we're where we're supposed to be when we're standing before God. In this passage, in chapter number 3, he begins with, in verse number 1, a, a challenge. He gives them a challenge 
that is, is given through and the other chapters leading up to this is the challenge of rejoice in the Lord. That's the challenge he gives them. Rejoice in the Lord. Despite your circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. But then it's all well and good when someone just says, just be happy. You ever had someone tell you when you're kind of grumpy or you're overwhelmed or you're stressed? Just don't worry. Well, thanks a lot. That really helps me a lot by just saying, stop worrying. But so Paul here doesn't just say, rejoice in the Lord. Work out your own problems by yourself, which is the most unhelpful advice you ever received. So the challenge is rejoice in the Lord. But he doesn't just leave it there. Going into verse number two, he, he gives a warning. Rejoice in the Lord, but watch out. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's saying here, look out for false teachers. There's a lot of false doctrine out there that will sound really good, but will ultimately lead you to destruction. That's not where you find joy. So he says, he gives a challenge. The challenge is rejoice in the Lord. He gives a warning. Watch out for false doctrine. Watch out for, for false teachers. And then he goes on and gives an encouragement in verse number three. And the, the encouragement is, where does he find his confidence? It's not in following false doctrine. It's not in his circumstances. It says there in verse number three, worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And here it is, and I underlined it for you on the screen. Put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in who you are. In other words, he's saying we're not good enough by ourselves, which is really tough. He says there, rejoice in the Lord. Don't look for outside things. Don't look for inside things. Where are we going to find this source of joy? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Because that's what we're going to look at this morning. The question is, how can I find joy? In Philippians chapter number 3, we're going to read verses 7 through 11. That gives us the summary. And then we're going to go back and break this down into two main points this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, it says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The question this morning is, how can I find joy? We find joy through a relationship and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to use the example of the Apostle Paul, but this, I think, is incredibly applicable for where you are because every single one of you has a history. You have a past, some things you're proud of, some things you're not very proud of, but you have a history and you have a past. And he says here, everything of the past that I'm going to lose. So first of all, in order to find joy, we must lose ourselves. 
verses 7 and 8. Let me read those verses again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, everything of myself, everything of my good works, I count them as loss. He says, I count them as, in that verse, rubbish. When I was a kid growing up, the Salvation Army had an ad that, on TV that says, if it was too good to throw away, you give it to the salvos. Do you remember that ad on TV? Those of you who've been in Australia for more than 15 years, they said, if it's too good to throw away, give it to the salvos. And I remember as a kid, you go through the stuff, and the ad worked. Back when you had only four TV channels, when we were living in Perth, everyone saw the same ads. And so you go through your stuff, and you go, well, this is too good to throw away. We'll have to give it to the Salvation Army. And now the Salvation Army is very grateful. It's a very worthy charity, and we should support them. But they have a problem. They have a problem with people giving too many donated items. That is absolute rubbish. And in fact, in this last year, there was an article in the paper that said there's $13 million a year they spend on throwing away unsellable, basically, other people's rubbish that they dump on their front. $13 million. You know, some very well-meaning people that have this, well, it's not good enough for me, but it's good enough for somebody else. It's not, it's, not, it's not good enough that I could never use this, but I'm sure I could just dump it on somebody else to throw away. Bulk rubbish time around our community is, is free shopping time. In our mindset, we think to ourselves, well, it's not good enough for me, but I can give it away to somebody else, and they, it becomes their problem now. As a parent, my children are spaced out quite perfectly. They're spaced out two, two, and two. It's amazing. Three little accidents as you go along. Boom, boom, boom. So when you start working it out, you have nappies for the first year, the second year. Then the next one comes along, and you have two sets of nappies. And then the, the first one begins to come out of the nappies, and you have the other child. And then you end up with like eight years solid of nappies. And there's something incredibly exciting about when, like the picture on the screen of my nephew. He did something this week that earned him a reward. He did something in the party this week that earned him a reward that he went to McDonald's and got an ice cream and some other prizes, and his parents were all excited for him. But there's something amazing about little bags. And Charlize actually donated this this morning. And if you're a parent, you know what this is, and I'm not going to be overly gross with it. But you know what this is. And you carry them around, and you put them in the little bags. And we used to make my son carry them. He used to walk around with his, his little nappy bags. This is the illustration talking about loss. None of you, after it's in the bag, want it back, do you? No, you don't want it back. In fact, you don't want to open the bag. You don't want to, to rip open it at all. You want it to remain closed, and I can't smell anything. And you ultimately want to throw it away. And when you've thrown it away, you don't want someone to bring it back to you and go, oh, I have a gift for you. Now, the silly illustration with the nappy, and I was thinking through things that I absolutely don't want back. I don't want my kids to go back to nappies. I don't want, once the nappy has been filled, 
to have anything to do with the nappy anymore. I want it gone. I want it out of my sight. I definitely don't want it to be ripped open, particularly when they're smelly. Going back to the verses 4 through 6. Though myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. That is absolutely incredible. He's thinking through, I have a great resume. I have reason for confidence in the flesh. There's things in your past that are re- you're probably pretty proud of. And there's things in your past you look back upon and you go, that was really good. God, you should be pretty impressed with the things that I've done. And the Apostle Paul is thinking it that exact way. His past was actually, by social standards, very impressive. Let's read through those verses, verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Basically, he's saying, I don't think he's being prideful there. He's saying, you think you have a good resume? I have a very good resume. You think your heritage was good? My heritage was excellent. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. That is, he's saying that we followed the law exactly the way it was supposed to be. I was a very good Jewish boy. It goes on and says, of the people of Israel, of tribe of Benjamin. He was in the right family. He was of the right culture. A Hebrew of Hebrews. We were patriotic. You think you were patriotic about being a Jewish person? I was even more so. He was incredibly patriotic. He was all about being a Jewish person. And he said, I want to serve God. As the law, a Pharisee. He was one of the religious leaders. He would have studied the law. History teaches us that a Pharisee would have learned the first five books of the Bible by memory. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would have memorized them. That's incredibly impressive. And verse number six, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. When we first meet Paul, he's known as a man named Saul. He's a young man, and we we see him in the book of Acts, overseeing the execution of a man named Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church in Jerusalem. He was so zealous for his Jewish faith and so zealous what he thought was for God that he said, I'm going to kill other people that are against what I believe. And he goes on and says, as to righteousness under the law, in other words, the right standing, if it came to following the law, I followed all the rules. And he says they're blameless. If you go back to the previous verse that we have on, had on the screen, verse number seven, it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Whatever great things are on your resume, everything that you think that is impressive to God the Apostle Paul there says, or is as loss. And to illustrate that, you think of the nappy. You don't want the nappy back. It's dirty, it's disgusting, throw it away. And that's what he's saying there. He uses the word, I count them as rubbish. That word rubbish, if you look at the original in the, the Greek, it has the understanding of rubbish, refuge, or some Bible translators translated it the word dung. In other words, it's disgusting. I don't want anything to do with it. Now, this isn't a message to bring you down and to make you feel bad about yourself. Because the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm, not, I'm proud of my, my heritage. He says, you think you have confidence? I had, great, I had a great upbringing. But that's not where he finds his joy. 
He found joy in losing himself. In the book of Titus, chapter number 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, it says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You are and I are saved, not because of your upbringing, not because you now live, in, you're blessed to live in Australia, not because of the fact that you looked a certain way or that you had this education. He says there, not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us so richly. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The question is, how can I find joy? The first point is to lose yourself, to lose yourself. That doesn't mean that you look upon yourself, I am worthless, I am nothing. It is that where do you find your confidence? It's not in my resume. I am very blessed. I'm very proud and, and grateful for my upbringing. And you, I hope you are too. But my upbringing as far as in the Christian faith, I am a pastor's son. My grandfather was a pastor. My dad is a pastor. My father-in-law was a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. My cousin's a pastor. My brother-in-law's a pastor. I think that's all of us. And there's a bunch of pastors. And I look upon that and go, I'm, I'm proud of that. But is that where I find any confidence? That doesn't help me. You, know, you fo should follow me because my grandfather was a pastor. Not at all. I, it, if anything, it forces me to go back to the Word of God and go back to the things that I find in Scripture. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. So therefore, with your past, you say, thank you, God, for my past. It's brought me to where I am today. But I'm not finding confidence in that. I'm finding my confidence and my joy in Jesus Christ. So therefore, first of all, you must lose yourself. And second is that you must find Jesus. Have you ever found something that you didn't know that you had lost? After I was thinking about nappies this week, I started thinking about when my children were young and the house we used to live in in Perth had a long side driveway along the side of the house that had access to the backyard and the kids were playing happily and safely in the secure backyard. And we, Cammie and I were in the house and we were doing something in the house, and we get a knock on the door, and there was a lady standing there with, Tate, does this little girl belong to you? And we had a choice. <laughs> and we said, yes, she does. She was out playing in the front yard. She wasn't necessarily in danger, but she was all by herself as a little two-year-old playing in the front yard. First of all, you have a little bit of embarrassment from that, but you're really, really grateful that your daughter is safe. Up until the knock on the door, I was perfectly fine. I had no idea. They were safe and secure, and somehow they slipped through the gate. I don't know how kids do that. They slipped through the gate. They made, she made her way to the front yard, and she was always quiet. She was a quiet, sly one. But you know what's amazing is we had no fear until we found out that she was lost. Have you ever found something that you didn't know that you had lost? After that, you rejoice. You, I'm so grateful that she's safe. 
in this passage, we see some things. First of all, we see the fact that we find Jesus, we find knowledge. Not knowledge in ourselves and of ourselves, but verse number 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's joy in knowing Jesus. There's joy in your individual relationship. So therefore, you don't have to look upon your past resume and your, sometimes your past failures to try to find joy in that. You can find joy in the one who has saved you. There's a difference between knowing about something and knowing someone personally and intimately. It's all well and good to know about Jesus, but what we, where you will find joy is knowing him personally. Not just knowing there's a historic figure, not knowing there's a man that lived 2,000 years ago that died on the cross, but having a personal and intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's where you'll find joy. That's where you will find true understanding of who you really are. Salvation is simply knowing God in a personal way. And it's simple. It's simply knowing that there is a God who sent Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who came to earth, lived a perfect life here on earth. He died on a cross, not for a good cause. He died on the cross to make the payment for your sin and for my sin. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And so therefore he's in heaven right now. He says he's on the right hand of God the Father right this very moment, preparing heaven for you and I. And he says he'll come again and receive us to himself one day. Either you'll die and close your eyes in death and you'll be in the very presence of God, or he'll come and snatch us away and take us away. Either way, we'll someday be in the very presence of God. But for today, where we are today, he says, I want an intimate and a personal relationship with you today. And we accept that by simply accepting his free gift of salvation. He is a gift of salvation that's bought, paid for, delivered, is wrapped, waiting for you to take and re- receive for yourself and open for yourself. It would be wonderful if we could do that for somebody else. But there's nowhere in the Bible that gives us permission to do that. Every single person must do that as an individual. And if you've yet to place your individual and your personal trust upon Jesus Christ, that would give me no greater joy today than open up the Bible and show you out of the Bible how you can have that gift for yourself. And as it says there, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because after you have that intimate and personal relationship, it goes on and, it, and we have and we receive the righteousness of God. And in verse number 9, it says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It says, not from depending upon following the law, following a set of rules. The old, the old thought process that we have is, if I look okay, then I must be okay. What we're seeing here is, has nothing to do with how impressive you look, has everything to do with who you place your faith upon, who you place your trust upon. Remember, the definition of righteousness is to be in right standing before God. 
There's three words I want to add to your vocabulary today. See, you didn't know you come to church to, to increase your word power. There's three words we're going to add to your vocabulary, and these are actually theological words that we find in the, the concept and sometimes the words found in Scripture, the word imputation, the word justification, and the word sanctification. People and, and theologians have written volumes of books on these. I'm going to give you a very brief working definition of each and help you understand where we are and how we have right standing before God. It's not because of who you are and how good you are. It is because of what Jesus Christ has done. The first word is imputation. That is quite literally the word that means to put on one's account. If I was to go to the bank and to have your account number and have $100 and to put it into your account, quite literally I am imputing that money onto your account. That's quite literally what it means. The righteousness of God, the salvation of God has been placed on your individual account by Jesus Christ when you have accepted his free gift of salvation. That's an important process to think through is how did I receive the salvation? It wasn't through your good works. It was through someone else's good works on your behalf. That's the word imputation. The next word is justification. Justification is a word that means to be declared righteous before God. There's a moment of justification. I believe the moment that you mentally place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, some people do that through a prayer. Other people do it by you know, a conscious understanding of you know, like an aha type of moment, like I want that for myself. I believe that's the moment of salvation. And that's the moment the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. He seals your salvation. But also it's the moment instantaneous justification to be declared righteous before then the bible says as he, as paul describes his own good works as being filthy and dirty rubbish now we have something wonderful we have the justification we've been declared righteous it's a statement that god makes on our behalf of saying i am no longer choosing to see you for the sinner that you are, to see you as the culmination of all your mistakes and your failures. I now am choosing to see you through Jesus Christ, and I am declaring you to be righteous. Another way of thinking of this is to be declared not guilty. You're being declared before a judge, and the judge says, you are not guilty. The final word is the word sanctification. Adding to your vocabulary. The word sanctification is found through the scriptures, and, and, as is justification. And the word sanctification is a continual process. We don't wake up in the, in the morning and go, I am perfect. The moment of salvation. That would be nice, but not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The more we know about our, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the more we understand of our sinful state, and the more that we go back and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for clearing me and cleaning me out. But it's the, con the continual impartation of God's righteousness. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every moment of every day, I need to be declared righteous before God, not because of myself, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. 
that right there gives me a great deal of joy. Because in my life, and probably yours too, there's areas in your life that you know that you do wrong. Does that mean you have to start all over again and be resaved? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're continually sanctified by him. Our goal is to become more like Christ. The very definition of the word Christian is to be Christ-like. We want to become more like Christ. But what happens when we sin? What happens when we do wrong? We go back and say, thank you, God, for your salvation. Forgive me of the sin that I committed, but it doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. What it means is he's continually declaring us righteous. The final part we see here is the partnership. Because not only do we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the knowledge of him and the surpassing the worth of knowing him, and then the wonderful position that we now have as to be declared righteous. Now we have something that we get to do. This has nothing to do with our salvation. has everything to do with now what? What do we do next? It's the partnership. There's something joyful about living and doing the things that God wants you to do in this life. Verses 10 and 11 says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that I may by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is also written by the Apostle Paul. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have an incredible privileged position to have an opportunity to serve God. So therefore, when we serve God, when we do what we do, we don't do it for ourselves to earn his favor. We do it because we have his favor. In a similar way with with a good husband and wife relationship, I and my wife do not serve each other in order to, oh, I really hope she keeps loving me. (laughs) It's because I love her and because she loves me, therefore I joyfully serve her. In a similar way with our relationship with God, because God loves you, because he has a plan and a purpose for you, therefore you joyfully partner with him in service. This morning, as we come to a conclusion, wherever you are in your Christian life, whether you are a brand new Christian or if you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior for many, many decades, this message is equally true for you. Because you can find joy not in yourself, not in your self-righteousness, but in God's righteousness. The Apostle Paul had to put aside his self-righteousness and focus upon God's righteousness. Our principle for today, again, is this. Joy is found in righteousness, true faith in Jesus Christ. Like many people today, before meeting Jesus Christ, Paul had the morality to keep him out of trouble, but he did not have enough righteousness to get him into heaven. I have a couple questions for all of us this morning. First question is this. Do you personally know Jesus? And if you do, praise God. It's a wonderful opportunity. As you sing and you have opportunity, you thank God and you have joy. But maybe you're answering this question of, 
do you personally know Jesus? Maybe you're answering the question is, I don't know. Or I hope so. The Bible says in the book of 1 John, it says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason why the Bible is written is not just so we can know about God, but so that we can know him personally and intimately. And the second question is this. Will you allow someone to introduce you to Jesus today? Will you allow someone to introduce you? In your bulletin and also on the table just outside those connection cards, you can write on the connection card a mark on there, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and through that, someone will contact you this week. If And I hope that you're so impatient that you want to meet today. That's wonderful. That's exactly what I want to do. At the end of the service, you can see myself. I'll be in the lobby. You can see Pastor Dwayne or one of the, someone else. And I'll, if you're a lady, I'll direct you to a lady. And we'll open up the Word of God, the Bible, and show you out of the Bible how you can have a personal and intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then you can begin to experience the joy in righteousness. Let's pray together. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Lord, I thank you for your giving us this incredible gift of salvation. You've given us what we don't deserve. You've helped us in, in ways that, that we could never help ourselves. Lord, as we go out this week, I pray that we'll live lives of joy because we have this incredible free gift of salvation. That we can experience you in an intimate and daily way. Lord, I pray that we'll no longer hold on to the things of our past in the way that we describe ourselves, but we'll have an accurate description of ourselves. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has yet to place their trust upon you as Savior, that today will be that day. They'll be brave enough. You'll work in them and call them to, you, to yourself, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen.